This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 reads, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. The concept there is that as we study God's word, we will often find hope through God's work in world history and more specifically his revelation through his people, the Jews. How God deals with the Jews should bring us hope. That hope that is found through that study could not be more plainly demonstrated to us in the rebuilding of the temple and the words that we find today in Ezra chapter 6. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. This is verse 22. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Ezra chapter 6 records for us the completion and the dedication of the temple. Based on several historical documents, this event likely occurred around 515 BC, some 72 years since the prophecy of Jeremiah, and four and a half years after the people resumed building under the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah. God had orchestrated all of these events, and it's essential that we realize that this is the divine favor of God upon his people. For what began as a divine work was now completed through a divine work. God had roused the heart of King Cyrus of Persia in the beginning, Ezra chapter 1 verse 1, to allow the people to return to the land and to rebuild the temple of their God after 70 years of captivity. This turn of events was precisely what Isaiah the prophet had predicted some 150 years earlier. Isaiah had said that Cyrus would be his servant. Cyrus saw this work of rebuilding the temple for the Jews as his divinely ordered purpose. It was likely the life and ministry of his trusted advisor, the prophet Daniel, that helped him to see this. See, God had been orchestrating world events and setting up kingdoms to fulfill the words of his prophets for years now. First, for the desolation of these people under Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon because of their idolatry, as prophesied by Jeremiah. Then he would restore them under King Cyrus of Persia, as prophesied by Isaiah. These things occurred according to the timelines and prophecies of these prophets, among others. From start to finish, God had made it clear that this was his work, divinely ordered and empowered according to his word, which he had told the people prophetically in advance. All along, we have said that the Jewish nation, the covenant people of God, were the stage upon which God would declare to the world who he is. Come, behold the magnificent, manifold character of God at work in these events. We see God's justice in punishing this nation for its idolatry because of the violation of their covenant. And yet we observe his grace in restoring them to the land. 
we witness his power in raising up worldwide empires to accomplish both of those purposes. And then we recognize his wisdom in telling them all of that, all that would happen long before it did. So when it comes to rebuilding his temple, what began somewhat miraculously at the hands of one pagan king who ordered the work and then decided to fund it, concludes much the same way. The people of God had enthusiastically undertaken to rebuild the temple following Cyrus's proclamation, beginning with the foundations and the altar. But then the criticism started. The previous generation complained that the new temple did not look like the old one. Their nostalgic lament dampened the aspirations of a people who were zealous to achieve the work of God, resulting in a commingling of rejoicing and grief. This criticism is an all-too-familiar refrain to those who have undertaken the new assignment from God among the charred remains of what used to be. The negativity generated from such mindless complaining unwittingly dampens the momentum of a people whose desire is to see God resurrect what has long been dead. Then the Samaritans, who had settled first in the land after being relocated from Assyria, began to cause trouble. At first, they offered to assist the building project, but their offers to help were rejected by Zerubbabel, the man in charge of the rebuild. He did this because while they worshipped the God of Israel, they also worshipped the gods of their native lands. And when the Jewish leaders refused their help, that help quickly returned to resistance. They even wrote letters to Darius, who was now king of Persia, suggesting that the Jews would no longer pay tribute to the king if they were to rebuild their city and their temple. When Darius listened to their threats, he withdrew the funding from the project, essentially derailing the entire endeavor. With no budget and low morale, every man began to turn his attention to his own interests. The people even began to raid the construction site to use the ornate paneling donated by Cyrus for their own homes. The divine plans of God seemed to be deconstructed by the destructive plots of men. Thank God for men like Haggai and Zechariah, whose preaching incited the repentance of the people and then returned to the divine task of rebuilding the temple. After sitting dormant for 20 years, Tatanai, the provincial governor, notices that the work has begun again. This kind of cultural groundswell around an enslaved nation's religion would inevitably spark the interest of a governor whose main objective is to maintain peace in a region far from the capital of the empire. So he approaches Zerubbabel and asks by whose authority they had begun this project and the names of the individuals working on it. One can only imagine the anxiety that these conversations must have sparked in Zerubbabel. The whole project had been derailed due to the government influence once already, and so now it was coming again. However, when the governor sent the inquiry back to Darius the king, God again turned the favor of the people. When they began to search for any record of Cyrus's proclamation to send the people back, they found a very detailed memorandum in the summer palace of Cyrus that outlined not only the approval of the people's return, but also the funding of the project and the donation of the elements seized by Nebuchadnezzar from the temple. Remember, Cyrus gave those back to the people when he sent them back to the land. 
Well, when Darius heard this, he instructed the governor not only to leave them alone in their building, but actually to fund the project through the taxes paid in that region. Remember the Samaritan's letter years earlier that stopped the work presumed that the Jews would not pay taxes if the temple were built, and now the people are actually paying taxes for the temple to be built. The text explicitly said that God gave them great joy as they dedicated the temple. The final phrase of the chapter reads, The Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Now that detail is a bit puzzling. Now what did Assyria have to do with all this? These people were exiled by Babylon and then returned by Medo-Persia. Assyria predated both of those empires. What is the reference to the king of Assyria then? Well, I think it glimpses God's divine plan for all of Israel here. Remember, Assyria took northern Israel captive before being defeated by Babylon, who promptly assailed Judah before ransacking Jerusalem. But behind all of this upheaval, we need to understand God was accomplishing his plan, revealing his judgment grace, provision, and blessing on behalf of this people. And Ezra sees God's work in all of it. And we should as well. So as we think to apply this to our lives, should we not see God's divine plan amid the good and the bad in us as well? God had literally moved heaven and earth to accomplish these things. It was a plan that was infinitely bigger than even they could realize. According to Daniel 9, this plan would culminate in the very advent of the Messiah coming to earth. All of this, spanning back to Assyria, was providentially ordered, and the same is true in our lives. God is working a much bigger plan through the ups and downs of our life than we can imagine. And it can sometimes feel random, even chaotic, but I'm sure that the people watching their capital burn to the ground and their temple being destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar must have felt the same way. I'm sure the weeping exiles around Ezekiel and Daniel must have wondered if God had abandoned them amid their suffering. We know that confusion was present in Daniel as he struggled to understand what he was seeing in these visions. Though God had revealed so much to him, Daniel still died with questions unanswered. Read the last verse of the book. The point is that there will always be puzzling moments in our timeline, segments of our existence that feel out of place, where we are tempted like Haggai and Zechariah to believe the plans of God have been derailed because of confusion, apathy, discouragement, and unbelief. But here is where faith must be the moorings of our life. Suppose God can be at work amid pagan kings in foreign lands. If he can be orchestrating the events of the destruction of his own city only to rebuild it again, if he can providentially order prophets to foretell of truths that they themselves strain to understand, if he can rouse the hearts of kings to do things that seem so patently opposite to their own agendas, if God can do all of that, then should we not trust him to do the same in our lives? We need to understand the justice of God will send people into exile. We need to realize the grace of God will restore fallen humanity. We need to believe that the wisdom of God will have a plan, even if it is not fully revealed to us until after the fact. 
God is at work, and though we may be utterly oblivious to its logical end, God is working in our waiting. He is perfectly accomplishing his divine purposes completely apart from our comprehension of it. I'm sure the first generation disciples were as confused, frightened, and disillusioned the morning after Jesus' death, but they did not know that resurrection was coming. They did not know that Sunday was coming. They did not know that vindication was coming. They did not realize commission was coming. You see, they didn't know what they didn't know. They couldn't see what they couldn't see. And the same is true in our lives. We have no earthly idea of the divine plans of God that are coming our way. But mark it down, God does. God knows what he is doing, and he will perfectly accomplish his divine plans. And we can trust them. He is good, right, just, gracious, forgiving, powerful, and sovereign. When we don't know what God is doing, it is helpful to remind ourselves of who God is. And these timelines testify bountifully of the character of our God, and we can trust Him. So Father, thank you for this reminder today. How I needed to see your hand in all of the chaos. Remind us that you haven't lost a step. Your purposes will not fail. We trust you to accomplish your plans by your power in your time for your glory. Help us to trust you in the seasons where we can't see you and keep our hearts at rest in the knowledge of your faithfulness. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For the show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Have a great weekend. Join us on Monday as together we help you learn to read your Bible.